Hey everybody, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jeremy. And we're finally back. This is the Evangelicals. <laughs> Jeremy, I would like to say Happy New Year to you. And the same to you. It's been such a long time since we've gotten together, like three months. Honestly, this is the longest hiatus that we've taken since beginning the show a couple years ago. And we actually ago. tried to record a podcast and... It was just, I think, technical difficulty central. And because we tried to do it with me and Pauline and you and Lima, and I think it just. For those of you that think that we are like, I, I don't know, tech gurus or something like this, we're not. We, we have a guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Enos Hirschberger. Shout out. I mean, he really, really helps us, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of put this together. <clears throat> but yeah. So uh, we tried and we recorded one and it was great. It was the best episode we've ever done. <laughs> and none of you will ever hear it because we can't get the audio to work. So, a lot has happened, obviously, since we met last. The election has happened, right? Uh, the uh, college football playoff has happened, and the national championship is going to be this next week, which, for those of you who don't know, Jeremy and I are both college football fans. And in this particular game, we happen to sit kind of on opposite sides of the uh, field. Yeah. Is that a decent yeah. analogy? Yeah, I'm an Ohio State fan, and I'm a I'm a Bama fan. So we're gonna we're gonna begin by talking college football, and you're probably thinking to yourselves, "Do you guys know, not know what's going on? What else is going on in the world?" We do, <laughs> but we're gonna start by talking college football. What, what do you What do you think the score is at the end of the game, Jeremy? Whew. Um, I'm gonna say thirty-five to thirty-one. Bama winning? Bama, oh, yeah. 35-31. <laughs> I would say 38-28. to 28. Huh. Ohio State wins. Wow. By 10. <laughs> That's a great, crazy pick. <laughs> I, I mean, Ohio State by 10. Uh, Trey Sermon <clears throat> runs all over Alabama's defense. Hmm. And uh, Justin Fields just has a great day. Devontae Smith makes me very nervous. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know that you can cover him. He's very difficult to cover. And not just Ohio State, obviously, the, any team. Oh, yeah. Any team oh, yeah. that the, the Bama's played. So I, 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 it'll be interesting. We were talking a little before, and I think our offensive coordinator may be our strongest weapon because he seems to figure out how to get Devontae the ball. And then once he starts catching it, it kind of opens it up for the running back, Najee Harris. And and so I just think, I don't know, I just think he's really good. So his game plan is going to be, I, I think it's going to be pretty on spot. I, I, you know, my youngest son is very passionate about it. And, and I just said, listen, Ohio State's going to score some points. And we just have to score more than they do. And, and I think that'll, that'll, It'd be interesting. So you're raising It'd your, be fun. You're, you're raising your children in Ohio to be Alabama fans. <laughs> Would you expect any different? Like what? <laughs> yeah, uh, dude. My oldest could care less. I mean, he yeah. he would be he would, he would cheer for Alabama, but he's into music and and stuff like that. And and but my youngest man, he's pretty passionate. So should we text during the game? Yeah, sure. If you want to, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> If you're sitting on there listening to this episode and you're like, it just feels like these guys are like catching up or something. We are. Yeah, <laughs> we are really, exactly. It's legitimately not. I got three months. <laughs> okay, yesterday was a crazy day. Um, 
So we're actually recording this on January the 7th. Is this the 7th? It is. Yeah. And so yesterday was January the 6th, um, which was the day that um, uh, supporters of uh, the current president uh, stormed the Capitol building. Um, we're not... I don't think everybody's kind of curious what what the goal was. I don't even know from watching some of the videos and hearing interviews and stuff. I don't know that many people... I don't know that everybody there even knew what they were doing necessarily. This is kind of um, the banality of evil. Uh, Hannah Arendt, who was a journalist, and I often refer to her, uh, who covered the the Eichmann trials in Jerusalem after World War II. Eichmann was one of the masterminds behind the Holocaust. On what, what she said was kind of shocking to her in covering the trial of this guy who was, who was understood to be a mastermind as she said about him, he actually wasn't a mastermind. He was actually just stupid. He was actually just one that just took orders, who just followed, exa- he, he just followed the crowd. He just did whatever Hitler wanted him to do. He wasn't brilliant at all, you know? And, and kind of her case was the banality of evil is that evil is kind of mindless. It doesn't really have like this master plan. It kind of just does, it has like an impulse of its own that just does things kind of at random. And quite honestly, that's what it seemed like was going on at the Capitol yesterday. My, I, if... I could be totally wrong. I bet a lot of people showed up yesterday at the rally never intending to to participate in what happened. That's totally my sense, yeah. And the mob mentality, like, you know, when everybody else is and and you get there and people are chanting and people are whatever, yes. it 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 creates. Now, I don't think that that releases them from the responsibility of being no. a part of it. But my guess is that some people showed up in D.C. yesterday, never intending to try to get inside the Capitol, and and but unfortunately, that's where we are. Like I said, I think that they should be, if the law applies to what's going on, they they need to be held responsible and well, accountable for what they did. But I'm not sure they showed up with the intention of saying today, this is what we're going to do. Well, so furthermore, to, uh, to that point, I think that there are a lot of people in America asking the question, you know, why weren't these people kind of like shot on sight or like why wasn't there more of a kind of reaction? And some of the with with kind of the the racism in America right now, you know, a lot of people are saying and and maybe appropriately so, you know, if these were blacks or if these were minorities, things would have probably been taken more seriously. The only thing that I would say to that is the U.S. Capitol is actually a building that's owned by the people of the United States of America. So on the one hand, yeah, like there should be there should be a significant security and that type of thing. But also like when people in the United States, when they're when they're not armed, when they're just, you know, wanting to you know go to the Capitol building and be in the Capitol building. I mean, um, I part of me watched the scene and I appreciated that the law enforcement officers and the security officers weren't just shooting everybody and that it didn't turn into this massive thing. Now there was this individual where they were breaking, or there was this one individual that was shot, right? Where she was like, obviously going into a restricted area, like breaking glass, this type of stuff. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make a moral claim necessarily about like whether or not who, the security guards or the people were right or wrong. I am just saying as an American citizen, like the U S Capitol building is a building that I would take my children to like that. We would walk into, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not, but I think there's protocols. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and they were definitely not following. <laughs> no, like right. I, I totally agree. But it's like, if you go to a prison, you got to go through a metal detector and you got to make sure that as you're entering in. And so that's the only pushback I would have is because that's what some of the people were saying. This is our house. This is our, and I'm like, yeah, but 
you know, it, it's not this just free for all. You can go in whenever you want to, and there's a couch and a TV well, that, so, and a room for you. You know, like but isn't that indic? Isn't that indicative of kind of like our just entitlement of a society? Absolutely. That like, well, this is this is mine, so I can go do whatever I want. It's like, really? And I also, I think I do agree that if. Because I think we saw it when the BLM protesters, the Black Lives Matter protesters were there. It was a totally different feel with different heightened security, with different uh, in different protocols were in place. And I and, and I could be totally wrong, but I do think that if it was a different crowd, it would have turned uh, it would have been a lot different. I, like I said, I could be totally making a judgment, well, but a, I just feel like it would have not been. Well, the sure. Same. It was a crowd supporting the, the current president. So the current president, you know. There, you know, he's, there's no way, he's not encouraging anybody to, you know, stand down or do less or this, because, you know, he assumes these are his supporters, you know, and. But, they, but breaking into the speaker of the house's office. Terrible. And, and. Terrible. People would have been coming in with, I mean, it would have, it, it would not have been. That's exactly right. You know, and sitting in the, the Senate, the vice president's chair in the Senate chamber, like it, th- there would have been a few more. And I, and the, the saddest part to me is the girl that got shot was kind of just in the wrong place. Like she, she wasn't was. even the one that was being aimed at and, she, but she's the one that got hit. But like, and once again, just when you're joining that crowd, you are putting yourself potentially in a situation that like, you know, her family's like, I wish she hadn't made, you know, like you hindsight's 2020, you know, but I looked at my son and I was like, man, that was a bad decision. You know? Yeah. I mean, just terrible. Well, the other thing also is it is 2021 and you do understand and you know that cameras are on everything. And so as a security officer, as a police officer in that situation, I mean, um, uh, Van, was it Van Jones who is the uh, commentator for CNN? He is one of them, yeah. He had a beautiful little monologue last night. Where he said, you know, this is terrible, but like, also there is some good that comes from this because you just kind of, this is, you get, you can see what this movement is for what it is. And I do also wonder, like, I mean, if I'm somebody, if I'm somebody who's, a, who's opposed to the, to the movement yesterday, I mean, just standing back and looking at it, I mean, if, if someone even if someone, God forbid, would have like lit the building on fire or something like this, like that is Trump's legacy. I mean, that becomes like that just like it's not that you it's not that you want that to happen, but also like you're just people are people are able to see like what the madness like how how um what you said, how kind of the crowd mentality, how it, I guess, um, culminates. Right. And so I'm. Mean, it, it was. It's terrible. It's terrible that the individual was shot and died yesterday. Yep. It's absolutely terrible. It seems like a completely unnecessary death. And these are the deaths that you just kind of like scratch your head and you're like, why? But I mean, watching the Senate and House hearings last night, apart from some just kind of entrenched marginal figures that well, at this point, marginal figures yeah. who are just, you know, not willing to leave the the side of the the president for their own the sake of their own political careers i mean it was actually a pretty unifying night on capitol hill last night i think the part that and i i, I kind of went on a retweeting binge last night um <laughs> it was my fingers were not uh stopping but the things that i was retweeting the thing that i think that 
that is most concerning potentially for me is people carrying the Christian flag along in the midst of this people carrying signs, Jesus saves while they're, they're doing this protest. And I think the most, and, and, you know, with my job, I think is to try to help people understand more of what the kingdom looks like. And it's funny that not funny. It's concerning that we, and, and we've talked about it before, but it's kind of this Christian nationalism understanding that, that as they were marching and, and promoting America, they were attaching Jesus to that and, and yelling and screaming and, and, and being a part of it. And so what can, and I've already seen some tweets that, that, that what are people of other faiths and religions thinking about our Christian faith when they're seeing these two things merged in such a way that they attach Jesus to this understanding of, of what was happening yesterday at the Capitol. I mean, you, you bring up in just that idea of perception, a whole host of issues and thoughts and ideas. I mean, what really happened yesterday from an outside perspective? Like imagine being another country who hears that the United States of America is the greatest democracy in the history of the world and that Donald Trump has become the president and Donald Trump is, you know, he's this he's this beacon of freedom. He's this he's this conservative national who's just going to take, you know, the United States to glory, right? And then and then you're like watching, you know, your international news, you know, and you see people that are supporting him that come to the Capitol building and they are like vandalizing it. And you're like, you're like, and then, and then you find out that later that night, like, but there's not really a coup. Like there are in other nations who like don't have like last night was so like, honestly, like I was so glad to be an American last night. Like I'm just sitting at, I'm just sitting at home and like, I'm not worried that regardless of how this goes, like that, like somebody's going to come like force me out of my home or something. Like that's not, we talk about like right and left as if it's like this severe, brutal opposition. That's like, you know, life and death and this type of thing. But the thing is, it's not like we're all Americans. We have different understandings of how, you know, healthcare should be administrated or like, um, we should be, you know, uh, thoughts of thoughts of, um, concerns of, uh, national security and this type of thing. Like we have differences of opinion that are very strong. Right. But at the end of the day, we're also not, um, so radically, uh, opposed to each other that democracy can't continue to prevail, but it, it, but it can, it can be fragile. But the reason I say that I I was so proud of being an American last night is I'm sitting on the couch with my wife, you know, and, and we're just, we're sitting peacefully in our home, just watching this stuff. And we're able to have a conversation and we're not concerned whether or not what we're saying is right or, you know, right or wrong or uh, who we're aligning ourselves with because, because in the United States of America, like you do have this beautiful freedom of, of speech and expression and the ability to elect and not elect people that represent you or don't elect you, you know, and one of the things that we were talking about earlier today preparing for the episode was the idea of like the base, like who voted for who. And, and the, th- the thing is like Joe Biden didn't just get elected because liberalism is running rampant in the United States. As some people would like to say, Joe Biden got elected because a lot of conservatives are sick of Trump. That's why Joe Biden got elected. And like, you're going to have a really hard time persuading me otherwise, just because I've seen too much sociological data. 
And I've heard too many people that, you know, have been lifelong conservatives who were like, this is the first time in my life I voted Democrat, right? I mean, the moral majority religious right thing has gone too far. Well, I think what was in what's so interesting is I think Trump, President Trump, um, started saying things that weren't conservative. Yeah. Started saying things that that this understanding of what conservatives um really hold dear is this understanding that states run certain things and here he wanted to have this federal overthrow of of the election process and and for a conservative person that would should be a huge red flag because you're all about the states doing their election doing that there's no there's no federal understanding Absolutely. of of a, a federal government picking the president and so whether you agree with what happened in Pennsylvania. That's not your job as a federal person to figure that out. It's that state's job yep. to be a part of that process. And if you're upset in Pennsylvania, then go to your local legislator, go to your local whatever and say, hey, figure out why how we do this election better. But it's not the federal government's job. And here Trump is trying to have this federal takeover to negate an election. But as a conservative, that should make you so mad because you don't believe that. But that's what you profess you don't believe and and you should just be so irate that your Republican president is is pontificating is that even if that's even a word or the right use of that that this is what he wants he's he's saying this is you know and throwing the vice president under the bus and saying he he's better do the right thing and blah blah and but he's he's literally saying he wants the federal government to be bigger than the state government in that moment and once again that doesn't isn't always what a conservative person claims as their this is what i think america should look like let's talk about conservatism in our lifetime <clears throat> so uh, what year were you born 78 okay and i was born in 87 um toward the beginning of both of our lifetimes so um the the really the rise of the religious right was something that happened kind of during the 70s up into the election of really culminating in the election of reagan right right and um not to get, not to give an entire history, there are some really uh, great books out there that have been um, written about this. Um, one that's not an unbiased opinion by Lisa McGeer, a Harvard scholar, which I agree disagree with many of her premises, but it's called uh, Suburban Warriors. is a really interesting book if you want to read about the kind of the rise of the religious right, the kind of the militant arm of the religious right in the '60s and '70s. <clears throat> but what happens is, is re, um, religious conservatives, Christians in America really kind of mobilized and said, okay, we're going to try to find the lowest, um, the lowest common denominator. Yeah. And we are going to all vote for, you know, particular things. And, and this became known as the religious right. The idea that we you know we're voting to like stop abortion. Um, eventually in, you know, Barack Obama's kind of era, it became more about marriage. I don't know that that was conceivable back in the sixties or seventies that there would be like actual laws you know about like marriage or something like this but but what what happened over time is that the moral majority who said they were voting for for a particular kind of morality evolved into a group of people that were voting to maintain political power not even for the sake of morality and this was evident in the essay that dr james dobson writ wrote before both of the previous two elections yeah. uh the one in 2016 and the one that we just had in 2020 stating that christians need to vote you know for these and so voting for um and even previously for um for mitt romney so it doesn't matter that mitt romney's a mormon 
it doesn't make it it doesn't matter vote for him because we need to you know overturn you know this presidency um and so it's not even about it's not even about religion at that point because like i mean mormonism there are there are elements of it that are just that are not not even remotely acceptable to um kind of your your average evangelical christian right but but we're gonna vote for him because he's better than the left you know, and then Trump, you know, in 16, we're going to vote for him, even though he's immoral, because we want we need the Supreme Court justices to be on our side. Yeah. And then again, we're going to vote for him again in 2020, because even though he's been very divisive and, you know, our country is like in crazy turmoil, we need to keep political power. And he's the one that's got it. And just let me just interject really quick. And I'm going to make a crazy statement, maybe. Even to the tune of, I think President Biden. President-elect Biden is a deeper man of faith than Trump has ever been. I don't know. I don't know. Well, just what you hear about his Catholic faith and what drives him and his empathy for people and his ability to see people and connect with people and how it relates to his his understanding, I think, of his faith and his deep Catholic roots. Now, you can tell me that you know a lot of evangelicals don't believe catholics or christians and going to heaven or whatever we i mean we do have a problem with we have a big division in protestants and catholics in this country keep keep going i don't want to so i just think that you're you know you're talking about even if it's more about the the r the republican part than it is about morality and about um looking at what does this person actually believe and what drives them and what is the core of who they are and that character maybe piece um seems to have gone by the wayside i'm sorry i didn't mean to well, interrupt yeah, no, but it's just it's right. just speaking to that point well, even I to guess. People, yeah so people on the outside people in the international community who look at the united states of america right now they're like how is this about christianity at all right and it's not right it's about a particular brand of politics in america right that doesn't make sense anywhere else yeah, you know, I mean, like that's what that's what the religious right has become. That's what the moral majority has become. And quite honestly, um, my prayer is that what happened yesterday on the steps of the Capitol becomes the end of the religious right. That we just kind of like move away from people just so easily associating their you know their politics with their religion, you know, from just marrying them together. I, and I I'm 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 an optimist. I'm a raging optimist. Like honestly, like I I sense in my own generation just a disgruntledness, a frustration with the just simple paradigm of, you know, Republican equals Christian for evangelicals of the past. And I don't think that that's the case anymore. I listen, I hope to see a third or a fourth party in my sure. lifetime. I mean, like I want like you know, we're um the good news, we're the evangelicals for crying out loud. <laughs> the the good news doesn't have anything to do with an American political party. Like, if it did, then America should have been, then the United States of America should have been around 1800 years earlier so that Jesus could, could kind of bless it, you know, and, you know, call it good. Or Jesus you know? would have set up America. Yes. <laughs> Right, he would have but overthrown. He, he would have overthrown the, the 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 Romans, don't you know? And started some sort of like primarily political reality. Yeah, but he didn't. Yeah, and so I think so. Just to to keep going, and I think what what that moral majority did is they attached themselves to one issue, 
And I think this is where a person would look at, like, a, like I said, anybody on the left and say, you can't be a Christian or vote for this person because of this one thing. When you, when I really think, and I, I saw a tweet or uh, something that said, it's interesting that people say you can't be a Christian and vote for a Democrat because I'm not sure they actually read the Bible because there's a whole lot of more li- more pro-life issues that maybe Jesus is, that, that scripture speaks to. Not to say that the one issue, abortion, isn't important as well, but to say that you, that, that potentially the Republicans may not care about some of these other things and it's okay as long as they have the right standing on this one issue, I guess is what, what, what I think has come from the moral majority. And so you have a lot of politicians who preach about one thing, one to get the Christian, the, 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 the conservative evangelical vote, as long as they say this, then, then they're in they're they're on board. And, and if anybody says anything negative to the abortion issue or on the other side of the issue, then I just don't know how you could vote for that person and, and still call yourself a follower of Jesus. Um, so that's where I think, once again, just looking and trying to figure out what all this means. I, I, I don't know that I share your optimism about the, the, the evangelical Christian right going away. I think as long as, I, I, I unfortunately think that as long as there are politicians who are looking for a vote, um, they're going to they're gonna try to tap into that that narrative that has been given but what if but what if what if republicanism starts to look like ben sass the guy from nebraska who what if he becomes the leader of the party who says like this this um what's his thing uh the um the tribalism yeah 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 yeah. i mean he he's a republican who denounces the tribalisms the division that that has become right i mean like if there are people on both sides of the aisle that want to be that become the next generation of people of of politicians that don't buy into this, I have to be polarizing to be successful politically. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if you could get a generation of people to buy into that, that would be what would undo. And you kind of saw a glimpse of it last night. That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> I thought last night was awesome. Yeah, it was. It was. It was definitely fascinating, and and it's it's sad that it took that. It's terrible that it took that. It's 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 honestly immature. Like it should demonstrate how absolutely immature and ridiculous we are. Right. That like we it takes like this kind of desecration to wake us up. This is nonsensical, man. <laughs> how do you really feel? <laughs> I want to. You brought up a pretty killer issue so we have racial division in this country like crazy but we have religious division you said that you said a thing that maybe there are listeners that would be very offended by this idea that joe biden would be a christian right because he you know in debates has said publicly you know i'm not trying to take away women's women's rights or what what's the it's not women's rights it's um like women's choice or or right, right, health care right. okay um and so, and so people would say, that's it, you know, he's, you know, he's advocating abortion. Well, the thing is, Joe Biden lives in the same political polarity that everybody lives in right now. And so, yeah, you do have to, you do have to navigate. I'm not defending him. You do have to navigate and say the, say the thing that's kind of the party line. Each person does. Trump does. You know, Biden does. And if you're a Republican with integrity, 
you'd recognize that there are some things that Trump stands for that aren't necessarily Republican ideals. One of them, which Jeremy brought up earlier in the show. I mean, let's be real, people. Okay. <laughs> like everybody, both sides of the aisle, they're, you know, kind of like uh, agreeing to things, you know, that maybe they don't necessarily agree to. Okay. But but part of the, part of the issue also under the skin, under the surface is with this idea of Joe Biden, like some evangelical Christians being anxious about Joe Biden being a Christian, is the fact that he doesn't attend church at an evangelical Christian church. He's a Catholic. Yeah. And don't you know that, you know, Catholics are represented by people in history like Dorothy Day, who fought for like the workers' rights and this type of thing. And, you know, you know, and Dorothy Day means you know, workers' rights, which means unions, which means communism, which means the dark left, you know? And you know who also did? John Wesley. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> well, see, that, Jeremy, that's the thing, is that we don't, we have such a selective memory of history, and we have a, such, a, such a selective understanding of like what constitutes a person but like people are complex mm -hmm. and faith is complex and like quite honestly so i'm i'm studying at the university of dayton right now which is a historically catholic institution and i've got to tell you i just got done studying at the university of chicago which is historically a protestant institution i've never felt more ostracized i've never felt more alone than i did at the university of chicago as a protestant evangelical studying with other white protestants who would make fun of me would call me names um because because i stood for kind of religious convictions in an evangelical type of way so i as this evangelical christian who was marginalized at the university of chicago i go to the university of dayton that's catholic and i'm received with open arms yeah and <laughs> we had this beautiful conversation about uh why protestants want to study at catholic institutions right now and one of the um a uh, leaders of the program uh he, he said to us students, he said, you know, the reason that many Protestants want to come study with us Catholics right now is because Catholics take Christianity and history seriously. Ooh. We believe in the incarnation. We don't sit around and squabble about kind of intellectual arguments about, you know, is the Bible true and fundamentalism and all this kind of nonsense that evangelical Christians spend time arguing about. Like, we like we're having like real conversations about history and about Jesus, you know, and about faith and like, and also like, we recognize we have our own issues. Like they're not, you know, there's this idea that the Catholic Church is really just trying to sweep under the rug everything with, you know, sexual misconduct and all this kind of stuff. And it's not, that's not the only story, you know? And so and when listen, people- And listen, we as Protestants have that same story that was starting oh, to come out, so. Totally. We can't point fingers. But so the thing is like when, when we've, we've taught, we've trained ourselves that when you hear, when you hear Catholic, to hear sexual misconduct, to hear um, kind of liberal communism, workers' rights, all this kind of stuff. And it's not, it's not that simple. And it's, um, we, we as evangelical Christians, honestly, we need to, we need to, we need to be bearers of the good news in the sense that we can get over ourselves hmm. and grab hands of, hold hands of, of the, of the other Christian traditions in our country that may be a little bit different than us. If we really believe in the radical grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. And I think that going back to this tribalistic understanding, I think something that used to be true in the sixties, some in the seventies, 
is we did have extremes in both parties, but we also had some pro-life Democrat people who would look at their extreme people on the left and say, hey, let's come back to the middle a little bit on this. And yeah. then we had some pro-choice Republicans who, even though they had this physical conservatism and they may have been socially liberal, they were kind of in this that, that would call the other, the extremists, hey, let's come back here and let's have these conversations. And we, that, that piece of our society is, seems to have vanished. I think it's there. But they don't have the voice and they don't have the the um, the playing or the the I don't know, the media. They don't have the, the, the hearing, platform. the platform in our culture and their voice has been lessened. I would say there are more people that actually live there and we just hear the extremes. But we need to recover this understanding. And I think that's where Ben Sass is, is is listen at the end of the day. What really matters is who do, who lives across the street from me and what church do I go to and what little league program are my kids a part of and how am I investing in that and and who are my local commissioners and who is my local mayor and and how do I what are the other churches in my community does the the Catholic Church want to be a part of the ministerial association sweet let then let's figure out what we can do together let's figure that out and 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 it's become this 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 rampant you got to be this or this understanding that maybe there's more people in the middle who say, man, I do think that maybe things should be in the States most often. Maybe there is some federal stuff that we need, but maybe, you know what, some of these, these social issues, I I'm okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not as big of a deal for me, but at the end of the day, I believe that Jesus is the one that's the good news for the world, not these governments or not these institutions. And so how do we, as the church, bring our people back to understanding for me, like God's called us to reach Paulding. Now that could have ramifications for, you know what I'm saying? Beyond Paulding, but, but until we are really having inroads and, and really focusing in on the people that we see every day and our kids go to school with, and, and once again, play little league with and, and whatnot, why am I getting so passionate about things that, that really don't once again, I that's probably such a naive thing to say, but don't have direct impact on on what I'm doing and and what I'm called to do and who I'm called to be. Um, and yet that seems to get most of the airtime and the playtime sure. as is. And listen, if we even if on a federal level, they they got rid of abortion, the, the big hot button issue, abortions aren't going away. Cause then it just becomes a state issue. Like it's not like that's going to eradicate abortions for, from our country. But the question to me is, 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 am I doing something in my local community, volunteering at the pregnancy care center, making sure that if there's a, is, is am I promoting fostering? Am I yeah. trying to be a part of that? that, that's, that a, is, that's a real issue. Yeah. And I'm so proud because we have a couple in our church that just, just started fostering kids. And, and, and this is the sad question that they asked me and I don't know if they really believed it to be a thing but they said will you guys can they be a part of kids programming can they be like will you will you love them and I'm like are you kidding like on, yeah and 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 so how do we surround them like maybe not every family can be a foster parent but how do we make sure that they have everything they need to and and to to babysit for them or to do whatever they need to do so that they don't feel overwhelmed but say no we want to keep doing this and and, and so like I said I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about some of the national federal things but not to the neglect of 
am I doing this to the people I see, to the people that I interact with? Am I being the, the, the hands and feet, the good news in my local context? And maybe that should have the bigger um, passion, the bigger concern than what's happening in DC. And I feel like we've kind of got it all jumbled up. And because I think that, and this is one thing that Ben Sass said last night is, it's just beautiful. And it's the gospel. I mean, he was preaching last night. He's like, you can't hate. He's like, you need to go shovel somebody's driveway. You need to go do this. He goes, because you can't hate somebody that shoveled your driveway. It's the gospel, right? Like you love your enemies because eventually if you love your enemies, they're going to love that. There's no way they can be mad at you. If you're serving them, there's no way they can. I mean, technically they could, but it's going to, it's going to bring shame on them that you are doing all of these acts of service and love and grace. It's Jesus washing Judas's feet. The shame was on Judas. Jesus was serving him, gave him the last supper. Like he participated in that whole evening and and Judas had to make a decision. Like, is this really the guy I'm going to betray? And and he did. And and so I think that that who we are is to be this community, these people that serve those around us. And like I said, not to not that we just forget what's happening on a national level, but that should not be the the end all be all, the thing that we're the most passionate about, the thing that we're most um, crazy about because when it is we lose that connection to others and that connection to people and that connection to to the incarnational even living you might say Jesus yeah. in us for the people around us so this so this weekend particularly you know you're gonna have people in your congregation and, and I'll just speak for myself we're gonna have people in our congregation that were very very hopeful that Trump had won the election you know that the that kind of the religious you know, rain was going to continue and that are just going to be absolutely devastated by what happened this week in Washington, D.C. And there are going to be people in our congregation that are incredibly smug that everything came true that they were thinking and Joe Biden gets to be kind of the savior of the madness that has come to be of Trumpism, right? So you're going to have these just two polar opposite, you know, and and they're all going to be coming to worship, right? What um, pastorally? Let's just because this is what we do. We we are pastors. Yeah. Give me what? What are you? What are you? Um, what's your heart heavy for this weekend? And what are you? What are you thinking about as you're, you know, gathering the people of God this week? So it's interesting. Um, the passage that we're looking at this week is we're going through Luke, and it's when. The lady that's bent over comes to the synagogue and Jesus heals her and and then she stands upright. And uh and so there's a lot of parallels and and so one is obviously the fact that she's healed. Like just there's this just practical Jesus heals a woman, one, which was just kind of taboo, but he touches her too, which was really taboo. But um the second thing that I think that the just the bigger picture is that it's this image of this woman who was bent down towards the earth. And and so a lot of what it was saying was that what it's an image for what Jesus wanted to do for Israel, who were, who were bent down to all of these earthly lust and earthly power and were tied up by those things. And Jesus loosed the, the, the tie wow. that was holding her down. Wow. And, and, um, and so I think that my heart is going to be, 
let's not be bound and tied down to to these the earthly lusts that that seem to draw us in uh, which once again i don't know how much i'll get into you know like i don't know yeah. how much i'll try to bring some of this in yeah but i think that that my heart and and you know i i think as pastors we we do our people disservice when we don't talk about things that are potentially happening sure and just ignore them and just hope that you know people aren't and and so i think what i will say is hey no matter what you believe about what happened like one this is it was a sad day for our country but two um we have to understand that that the good news is bigger than what happened there i think that we and I think it's this fine line, like how, how much as Christians do we call out power? You know, that's why John the Baptist got killed is because he was calling out power. And, and, um, and so it's this tricky line because when is, you know, and you look at people throughout history in the church who, who did stand up to power, who did call things for what it, what it was. And, but there's this big movement of, we can't focus on that. We got to be neutral and we got, and so it's just this tricky game I, I maybe that doesn't balance um so i don't know exactly like i said i've obviously been thinking a ton about it as i'm watching this is like how as a pastor do you address this to your your congregation and and obviously i got a couple of days to figure that out but I, I i'm hoping that once again the call is to say um let's not um because I, I i personally i don't think trump gets a pass on this like i i on my lunch break, I was watching his speech too. And, and, and I think that, that, that as faithful followers of Jesus, we have to, to call things for what they are. You don't have to be negative. You don't have to, but you have to say, this is, this, this happened. This is what yeah. you can't deny it. It's on tape. And he said these things. And, and so it's just, like I said, it, it, I feel like it's a, uh, because I would say most of the people in my congregation are going to be sad too. Yeah. And I think that's the, maybe even, I think that's maybe even though one of the biggest things is I think they were given a false hope. Yeah. That this was somehow going to be, that there was a, a way for this to be overturned. And I don't know that that was ever true. I don't know that the, that constitutionally that was ever yeah. a possibility. And yet they were given this hope. Yep. Crazy. This is a crazy story. The guy, we we have a water cooler in our house. Um, yeah. We get a big water jug get dropped off at yeah. our house. Before Christmas, I just happened to be outside when the water dude dropped off. And <laughs> he's got a big thing on, and God we trust, on the front of his truck. Like, whatever. He was just like, I'm just, just hoping that, that they can get this thing overturned and Trump's going to be president again. I was like, you know we have a constitution. You know, like, that's what I wanted to say is like, it's it's kind of done like it's it's the states have certified like it's kind of this is gonna happen yeah but yet they this false hope that this was somehow gonna turn out differently which i think caused this angst put the vice president in a terrible position it was all based on wanting to maintain control and power and um be a part of that system so man sorry i, I kind of drug it down that was <laughs> Yeah, I, for, for me the, um, the thought this week is is really, people have been, 
listening to a lot of other voices that have not been the voice of God Mm -hmm. in the past year. And what they're finding is those voices were either false prophets or they were just voices producing some measure of false hope. And my prayer is that this week as we gather as the church is that people are more desperate and hungry and thirsty to actually hear what is the voice of God. Yeah. And that we can humbly recognize the thing that I thought, you know, was God or that I was putting my hope in actually turned out to be something that was not. And my prayer, I mean, my prayer this week in those people, in those people that are maybe the smug, uh, you know, confident ones now. (laughs) <laughs> like it, it just the pendulum just you know it swings it just swings you know so and that's the hard part right is you have people from both yep camps yep and you're trying to speak truth that somebody's going to be upset with right well and and the thing is the but but my hope is that this week is that we uh unified as a people yeah. recognize that the voice that we ought to be listening to is the voice of the spirit not a voice in Washington DC you know and this is something that we continually with just our Christian nationalism that we've always dealt with here in the United States as Protestants, you know, thinking that we have a sense of, you know, political and religious religious power, that we humbly recognize that really our greatest power does not come from politics in the United States, but it comes from the the power and the presence of God, uh, who uh, Paul says, you know, Christ in us, this is the hope of glory, mm. you know, and I, I just pray that this week all across the nation that we have this sense of um, renewed hope and confidence in that which is not, you know, religiously bound, mm-hmm. but that it's in, but that it's in Jesus and that it's uh, the gospel, that it's the good news, you know, the even the evangelicals, the good <laughs> news. The Evangelicals Podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 